Wendy's two for six dollars lets you mix and match some of our best items, like <gasps> Dave Single with a ten-piece crispy nugs, medium strawberry lemonade with a spicy chicken sandwich, spicy chicken with a Dave Single, Dave Single with a strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade. If you're into that, chicken Sam, crispy nugs, crispy nugs, strawberry lemonade, Dave's, Dave's nugs, nugs, Sam, Sam. Whew. Pick what you want at a price you want. <clears throat> Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's two for six. For a limited time, price of participation may vary at U.S. Wendy's on the card only. Single item at regular price. So back in 2014, which seems like forever ago when you think about the last 18 months, I was part of a team that planted a church near Fort Belvoir in one of the neighborhoods around Fort Belvoir. And for nearly a year before we held a worship service or a community event, we met every single week, this planting team. And we would pray together. We were discerning, which is like a Bible word for just saying, we're trying to figure out what God exactly wants us to be doing in this neighborhood. We studied the Bible together. We studied demographics and credit reports and job histories that are all available in the public domain for some reason. And then we planned. And we planned some more. And then we prayed some more. And we prayed some more. And our first event was going to be uh, a food packing event where we were partnering with Stop Hunger Now. The goal was to pack over 10,000 meals in four hours. And we did this event leading up to Christmas. It was in the weeks before Christmas, and we called it Serve with St. Nick. I know what you're thinking. That's great marketing. And it was. Santa Claus took a break from feeding the reindeer and getting stuff ready for Christmas. He joined us for a few hours of packing food that day. But leading up to that event, we purchased Facebook ads. We sent out those annoying postcards that come with all the bulk mail during the week. And we put up signs at every intersection in the two, whatever that zip code, I can't remember the zip code over there uh, by Fort Belvoir on the Telegraph Road side. And as we got closer and closer to the event, we noticed that our signs were missing. It seemed like every day as I drove through the area, I worked uh, in an office nearby, I would notice that the signs disappeared. All right, no big deal, I guess. And then Christmas came. We planned this great Christmas service in a local firehouse. They pulled out the fire trucks so the kids could play on them. We met in this bingo hall that smelled like stale beer and cheap cigarettes. And we worshipped the coming Messiah. It was wonderful. But leading up to that event, we put signs at every intersection throughout the neighborhood. And they began to disappear. So, we did what any rational, what any sane church planning team would do in Northern Virginia, where half the team was made up of military intelligence officers. We purchased tracking devices, and we embedded those devices into these signs. And then on a 24-hour rotation, we sat by laptops all over Northern Virginia, and we waited. It was ridiculous. All I can say about these disciples that uh, Lindsay read about and Miss Linnea talked about was that one minute they got it. One minute these disciples were walking along with Jesus. They were seeing healings and miracles happening. And then the next they were sticking their apostolic feet into their mouths. 
I mean, they had seen people healed. I mean, they themselves had yet to heal anyone. They heard Jesus talk about the cross and the cost of seeking after him. They didn't understand what he was saying when he was saying those things, but they kept following along. They learned that the cost of discipleship meant, namely, setting aside aspirations of greatness for themselves. And in our scripture reading, the disciples decided to rat out a person who was casting out demons in Christ's name. The disciples' issue with this rogue exorcist was not the exorcist's ability to heal people or that the exorcist was doing these things in Jesus' name. No, the disciples' issue was that in in their minds, this exorcist had gone rogue. The disciples said that the exorcist was not following us. The disciples' chief chief complaint had nothing to do with the exorcist's actions. Instead, they were upset because this person casting out demons was outside what they believed to now be the establishment. This person's not one of us, they complained to Jesus, implying there's no way that this person could be doing what they say they were doing in Christ's name because the us, the disciples, had been cut out of the picture. The exorcist had influence in Christ's name outside of the disciples' sphere of influence. These are the disciples who were called away from their boats and from their families, not some random person. These disciples had been walking, following Jesus, listening to his vague, confusing, and at times downright scary lessons about what his ministry would lead to. Not this random person on the roadside. We've tried to do the same thing in your name, Jesus, the disciples were probably thinking. And along comes this person stealing our thunder. Plus, this person's not even with us. It didn't take long, though, for our covert GPS tracking chips to begin relaying coordinates to laptops And I'll tell you what, as soon as those coordinates started coming in, our Cracker Jack investigative team was on the move. We loaded up in our minivans and we were moving quickly around Northern Virginia to locate our stolen Jesus signs. (laughs) And these signs were at a random VDOT staging area off of I-95. As our team moved in, they discovered a man placing multiple church signs from numerous congregations into a roll-off dumpster. And so with our smartphones rolling, we confronted the man. Hey, what are you doing? Our team shouted over idling dump trucks ready to go out and do what dump trucks do. It turned out that this guy was not cleaning up what he perceived to be litter along Telegraph Road. No, this guy in his orange VDOT truck, was a local church vigilante who was seeing to it that no one would go to any other church except for his church, as he put it, that his church would have no competition. No matter how many signs we put up or others put up, this man said he would be sure to take them down and put them where they belong as he motioned to that roll-off dumpster. 
His church. Not following us. Like the disciples snitching on a first century exorcist, my 2014 vigilante church sign stealer, the church sign stealer of Northern Virginia that you didn't read about in the Washington Post, these two groups lost sight of what it means to be called as a disciple of Jesus Christ. In seeking Jesus Christ, we always, always, always point away from ourselves, becoming a part of a community, a body. And that body becomes part of Christ's continued presence in the world, in a world in desperate need of His saving grace. The methods of how we follow, proclaim, and serve in Christ's name may work differently from community to community. But the truth is that we do not get to put a trademark on Jesus Christ, and we do not get to copyright the amazing grace that we proclaim week after week. Jesus has never been interested in the squabbling over team affiliation or franchising rights within the church. Instead, Christ has continually redirected his disciples' attention to something more important than claiming credit for the redeeming work that he has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. The stumbling blocks that Jesus pointed towards are all the things that we do, all the barriers that we place within the church to prevent what he described as little ones, those pushed out by the church establishment from experiencing the fullness of life that's available to all people, all persons, because of the redeeming work of Christ. If we are going to insist that we're the only ones in town, the only means by which the world can approach Jesus, then we should. As Jesus said, not my words, tie heavy objects around our necks and go for a swim or begin to cut off appendages or become, like Camden said, like pirate disciples with one eye. It's a theatrical demand of Jesus. It's impossible, really, not because of bleeding out, but because ultimately we're just like the sign-stealing guy. Just like the disciples snitching on an exorcist. Every time I receive a mailing in the mail or a social media ad about a new church coming to this area, I roll my eyes and I scoff. Along North Glebe Road, there are six churches within a two-mile stretch. There are more churches than traffic lights in our two-mile stretch of Glebe Road. Surely, I say to myself, one of these other churches, preferably the one I serve at, can fit the needs of everyone in the community. Do we really need another church to draw everyone in the community away from the amazing things that I'm doing at Mount Olivet? Why can't they just join us? And then I'm drawn back to our Gospel reading from today. In Jesus Christ, all are welcome at His table of grace. The love of God in Jesus Christ is not mine or even ours to distribute. The church received its saltiness by the grace of the one who was nailed to the cross and who three days later left his burial clothes behind. I often wonder if that random sign-stealing guy with a truck is still wandering up and down Telegraph Road, 
attempting to squash out what he believes to be barriers to following Jesus. The good news for him, which is really the good news for me, for us, is that in our submission to seek Christ first, following the one who sought each and every one of us out, who continues to seek each and every one of us out, is that the redemption of creation, the salvific work of God in Jesus Christ, is not dependent on us. The work is done. It's finished, as Christ said. And should we stumble or cause others to stumble, the amazing grace of God pulls us back in. And again, and again, and again. Thanks be to God. Amen.